Welcome back to the Dutch Podcast, where integrative medicine providers can expand their understanding of functional endocrinology and testing. And everyone, no matter who you are, can learn more about their body's most complex communication system. I'm Noah Reed, Vice President of Sales and Marketing for the Dutch Test. And coming up on this week's episode, we bring you Endocrine Essentials, the Female Androgens Edition. This week, Dr. Kelly Roof is on the show discussing how the hormones that are most commonly thought of as male hormones present symptoms in female patients. You'll learn more about what to look for on the Dutch test when assessing testosterone, DHEAS, androsterone, and other androgens. Dr. Roof is a licensed naturopathic doctor who completed her medical education at the National University of Natural Medicine in Portland, Oregon. She also completed a residency at Pearl Natural Health in downtown Portland, where she specialized in inflammatory bowel diseases and women's health. For her undergraduate education, Dr. Roof received a Bachelor of Science degree in biochemistry and cell biology with a minor in cognitive neuroscience from University of California, San Diego. Dr. Roof's strategy is to give thorough, clear explanations to her patients, and she always encourages questions to help lead her patients to better health. We're honored and welcome to have Dr. Kelly on the show. Let's get started. Thanks, Noah. And thanks to Dr. Kelly for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. So we talk about all things comprehensive when it comes to Dutch. It's sort of central to what we do is lots of information, uh, which means when we talk about male hormones, female hormones, there's a little bit more to talk about than, say, a blood test or a saliva test. So you're here today to help illuminate to us uh, the story about these male-related hormones as we typically think of them. Um, but we're going to talk about them, obviously, for men and women. But today, the female picture on androgens. So start with just defining what that even is. Like, what is an androgen? Yeah, so if you look up the term androgen, if you Google it, a lot of times you'll see male sex hormone. And the common example they give is testosterone. And it's true that men tend to have more androgens than women. I mean, I have seen some older men with very low androgens have lower androgens than a woman in her 20s with PCOS. But in general, men tend to have low, uh, higher androgens than women. But androgens in women, like testosterone, DHEA, are very present and very important for women's health. Okay, so tell us some of the, the functions of androgens um, as it relates specifically to female patients. Like, what are they there for? What are they doing? Yeah, yeah, so androgens do a lot. A lot of people think about or know about how they help with libido. They help with women's bone mineral density. But a lot of people don't realize that it helps with women's mood with their sense of well-being, with their memory, with their ability to put on muscle mass and exercise and maintain their weight, uh, with their hair and their skin, and even their cardiovascular health and their immune health. So it sounds like if we don't have enough of them, we might be in trouble with the female population. What happens yes. uh, to females when they have too much of a good thing? Yeah, so if you have too, you know, too high of testosterone, too high of DHEA, women tend to get acne, which I suffered with acne for like 15 years and no one ever tested my testosterone. Um, that's actually how I got into integrative medicine. But besides that, you get acne, hirsutism, so facial hair growth, scalp hair loss, you know, women's hair tends to fall out, and then women can have some mood issues, sometimes irritability or anger, for example. Okay, and when we, when we think about men with these hormones, it seems like there's this clean split of testosterone's coming from our testes, 
and then the other androgens, DHEA, androstenedione, are predominantly coming from our adrenal glands. Obviously, um, the female patients, no testes. Like, where are these hormones coming from, DHEA, testosterone? Where are they coming from in our female patients? Yeah, that's a good question. So it's very different than what you get with men. In women, 25% of their testosterone comes from their ovaries, and 25% comes from their adrenal glands. And then 50% of testosterone is converted from androstenedione in the fat tissue. But then you, you, know, you get the question, well, where does androstenedione come from? And 50% of it comes from the ovaries, and 50% comes from the adrenal glands. But this is pre-menopausal women, so women before they hit menopause. After, you know, when you hit menopause, your ovaries can still make some testosterone, but primarily comes from DHEA, gets converted from DHEA. Um, and then when it comes to DHEA, about 80% of it comes uh, from the adrenal glands. 100% of DHEAS comes from the adrenal glands and a little bit from the ovaries. So if you've got this mix of adrenal and ovarian production, and then of course the ovaries sort of give away as we get through menopause, uh, then are you expecting then overall to have lower levels in postmenopausal women compared to a premenopausal woman? Yeah, it, I mean, um, our androgens tend to drop, you know, once we hit our 30s, especially, you know, the DHEA testosterone tends to drop over time. But there's still healthy levels for every age. So sometimes women's androgens come back really low and they're 55. And I have a practitioner ask me, well, that's pretty normal, right? And I'm like, no, that's even low for their age. So Okay. Mm. And if we've got an issue of, in terms of like wanting to know if our DHEA and testosterone together and independently are within range or low or high, then on a Dutch test, we've got a whole bunch of other things that we're measuring, uh, the metabolites of those hormones. Like what value do the metabolites of those bring to you as a clinician? Yes. Okay. So the metabolites bring a lot of value. Um, when you look at testosterone and DHEAS in the serum, you, you get just part of the picture. And some women can have normal DHEA, normal testosterone in the serum, but when you look at the metabolites in the urine, you can see that they're actually metabolizing their androgens or their testosterone in such a way which can lead to androgen excess symptoms. So if they push their androgens more down, we, we say the 5-alpha pathway, they tend to be more androgenic. So anything that goes down 5-alpha reductase into, for example, 5-alpha dihydrotestosterone, or DHT, tends to be more androgenic. And DHT is the potent form, you know, we know it's the potent form of testosterone. So too much of testosterone, you explain the symptoms, but if testosterone is pushing to DHT, then even more so, because it's, it's even more potent than testosterone itself? Yes. Yeah, it's like... I think around three times more potent than testosterone. So DHT is the active form. DHT is what's causing that acne and the jawline. Okay. So so when so you're talking about DHEA, you're talking about testosterone and their metabolites, which then ends up being a lot of different things that we're measuring. So as you approach a Dutch test on a female patient, what are the big like primary questions that you're trying to ask of those numbers like what are the what are the things that you're you're looking at sort of in a hierarchy of like information what are you looking for yeah so the first things that i look at are the testosterone and then the total dha which we also call the total adrenal androgen production okay those i look at first to see you know are they above range are they within range are they low 
So that can kind of give you an overall idea of the parent androgens, but then you want to see how they're being metabolized. So then you look down at especially the 5-alpha, 5-beta reductase activity. Right. So if they're favoring more of the 5-alpha reductase, then you can expect possibly some symptoms of androgen excess, like the acne and the hair loss. Um, if they're favoring the 5-beta, you know, 5-beta reductase tends to turn androgens into these less potent forms. So they might not be at much of a risk for these uh, symptoms of uh, androgen excess. So explain to me how you'd put that together in the sense of if I have two people who are shoving down, let's say, the alpha pathway, some heavy alpha, right, in terms of the pattern, and one of those is like a higher producer overall, how is that going to present itself in terms of I have a lot of hormone in terms of androgens and I'm pushing down the alpha pathway, or maybe I don't have very much at all, and yet I'm pushing down the alpha pathway? Like how, how would you expect that to differentiate in terms of how the, the patient's going to present clinically? Yeah, so I get that question a lot. Um, sometimes we'll see really low testosterone, really low DHA, all the metabolites are low, but they're pushing the alpha pathway. And I have practitioners say, okay, is it the alpha pathway preference that's causing the hair loss or the acne? And I usually say, no, no, not really. I mean, she's got low androgens. So even though she's favoring the alpha pathway, she doesn't really have that many androgens to push down that pathway. So that particular patient probably won't have the acne. They, they might have the hair loss. There was some research around hair loss and low androgens. But if you have a woman, let's say she has PCOS, she's got high testosterone, high DHEA, and right. she's pushing down the alpha pathway, then you know she's going to have a lot of 5-alpha DHT in her tissues, you know, causing the acne, causing the hair loss, or the facial hair growth. So, so then could you have a situation where somebody has low testosterone, low DHEA, so in your mind you're thinking low androgen symptoms, and they happen to push in that alpha pathway, which means what they have is then getting more potent. So in that sense, because in women we, we almost always think about DHT production as being a bad thing, but if you have low overall concentrations, then in, in some of those cases, can that save you from those low androgen symptoms by making the androgens you have more androgenic? I would think so. Yeah, sometimes... When people have low androgens overall, but they're favoring the alpha pathway, I'd say, well, you know, that, that might actually be a good thing. <laughs> Maybe the body is trying to get more potency out of the little amount of hormone they have. So we don't want to just look at a ratio in a vacuum. You want to put it in context. So you said you're looking at total DHEA production of those, those androgens that are produced from the adrenal gland the testosterone, and then the metabolism sort of all as one big collage of what's going on with the patient, um, and then overlaying the clinical symptoms to see, to see what makes sense. Yes, exactly. So then if we find that woman who's struggling on the high end of things, either she has too much testosterone or she is a 5-alpha metabolizer, what are the types of tools as a clinician that you're reaching for to help overcome that? How do you approach her? So we know with um, women who tend to favor the alpha pathway, right. we know there's a few things that tend to push that pathway. First of all, in the research, you see it associated with PCOS, but you also see it associated with high inflammation in the body, mm. blood sugar, insulin dysregulation, stress, and obesity. So I'm, you know, I'm a, a big fan of treating the cause, so a lot of times I'll go after those, and I'll test their fasting glucose, their hemoglobin E1C, their fasting insulin, their CRP, HS, 
just to get an idea of some of the, the blood sugar issues and the inflammatory issues, if there are any. So usually people will go after kind of diet and lifestyle and you know working on those big things first. But there's some other tools in our toolbox that we can use. There's some herbs. They're called 5-alpha reductase blockers. Okay. And you can see mild to moderate improvements. So let's say someone takes saw palmetto or pygeum or uh, nettles or there's another one, reishi mushroom. So those to some extent can block 5-alpha reductase activity. So your testosterone and your DHEA, instead of going into these more potent forms like DHT, go down 5-beta reductase instead. So they, they go down towards the less potent forms. So you talked about um, the bits of information, right? How much DHEA, how much testosterone, how does the metabolism look in terms of 5-alpha or not 5-alpha? So we've got all these different metabolites. Which ones are uh, the first place you look when you want to draw a conclusion about their metabolic preference of pushing down the alpha pathway? Are you looking at DHT itself or which metabolites are primary for that question? So the literature says we should look at etiocalanolone and androsterone, which are primarily downstream of DHEA, but there's a lot of them around, more so than the DHT that we see in this era, more so than some of the other metabolites. So that's what we primarily focus on is that etiocalanolone and androsterone, just to see, you know, is are they favoring more androsterone? Because right. that could be an alpha preference there. Right, and we're talking indirect here. I mean, those two are monsters in our chromatograms. We get these two huge peaks, and then the question is, which way are you pushing it? Not because that alpha metabolite is itself so important, but what it implies about what's going on at the tissue level when testosterone enters in, which way is it heading towards alpha or towards the beta metabolite? So we look at those and what, what I like nerding out on a little bit with our reports is when you then see that is we have actually three other pairs of five alpha, five beta metabolites. We have, we talked about DHT, uh, downstream from that is the five alpha androstane dial. So, 5-alpha, five 5-beta, five and you can look at the balance of those two, but they're not as reliable, according to the literature, at telling the overall story as those two great big ones. But you can also look at non-androgens, right? Progesterone, we look at the 5-alpha, which we call alpha or alpha pregnanediol, and then we have the beta pregnanediol. Now, those aren't that important directly in terms of androgens, but it's the same uh, or similar enzymes that push in one direction or the other, and then Cortisol does the same thing. It goes down 5-alpha, it goes down 5-beta, and when you see all four of those like slammed in a particular direction, then you know somebody is a 5-alpha or a 5-beta metabolizer. I'm an example of that. I've always shoved all my hormones down the 5-beta pathway, and there's, you know, there's a story with that. But, um, but for 5-alpha of androgens, we, so we start with those two with the big, long, hairy names that are hard to pronounce, yep. um, but that's what the literature says tells us overall which way we're pushing and then we can look at the DHT metabolism to sort of confirm if you're pushing in that direction um, or not is that is that right yeah yeah that makes sense um, a lot of times w when I see someone who's obese who has blood sugar issues they're really stressed out you'll see them favoring alpha with their androgens and with their progesterone and with their cortisol and then you know okay this person's really inflamed or this person you know might really have some blood sugar issues right mm -hmm. right because insulin actually upregulates that enzymatic 
engine to push all of our hormones down that five alpha pathway. And then yep. we see the consequences and then they come to your office to get fixed. Yeah, exactly. Then what about the overall just load of androgens? Like what are the things that you're looking at in terms of the patient that you would describe as just making too much DHEA, making too much testosterone? So re- regardless of the metabolism pattern, how do you, how do you address high androgen production? High androgen production. Okay, so if it's coming from the adrenals, you want to do a lot of stress reduction, of okay. course. You can do some overall adrenal support, you know, B-complex, vitamin C, some adaptogenic herbs. But trying to figure out what is causing this higher adrenal output. Is it stress? Is it pain? Is it inflammation? So there's, you know, there's various things that can lead to high adrenal output that often leads to higher DHEA. With testosterone in the ovaries, you, you tend to see that with blood sugar issues. So when there's higher insulin, you tend to see the ovaries overproducing testosterone. Gotcha. Yeah, so working on those can be helpful. Okay. Um... And digging into the metabolites in terms of the specific patterns that you might see, I mean, one of the nice things about testing that's not so comprehensive is you don't have to worry about contradictory messages uh, between two things that relate to the same thing. One of the things I love as a chemist in terms of trying to draw a conclusion about something is I'm I'm kind of a natural cynic. Um, mm-hmm. So as soon as I see a result that's high or low, the first thought in my mind is really like, is that is that really the picture I'm looking at? And so having those downstream metabolites, I think help complement that story right when testosterone's high and i have three metabolites of testosterone and they're also high like i'm super confident in my interpretation right Mm -hmm. similarly if they're all low i've got a nice clean picture right so what do you do in the cases where i guess i'll give you a specific one maybe it's a little easier testosterone's elevated right and then you have three downstream metabolites and they're not so maybe they're even low when they tell a contradictory story um how do you wrestle through that in terms of what it really means for your patient yeah, that's a good question because, I mean, it definitely comes up and we see it and sometimes the picture is not very clear. So I always go, I always like always relate it back to the symptoms and the clinical picture of the patient to see if it makes sense. Like, does she have acne on her right. jawline? You know, is she getting irritable? Does she have hair loss? Um, sometimes you can look at certain metabolites to get a clearer picture of what's happening in the tissues. So we know that the research is showing that DHT, which remember that's our most potent androgen, it's a peripheral hormone. So it likes to hang out in the tissues. So let's pretend, let's just imagine it hanging out in the jawline causing acne. It doesn't really like to circulate. So sometimes we kind of miss it or, or we don't see the true levels in the serum or the urine. So the research is showing that the downstream metabolite, the 5 alpha androstenedial, might be a better marker of DHT activity in the tissues than actual DHT in the serum itself. Yeah, that was kind of a, I think an aha moment for me. Um, you know, we're playing around with these metabolites and then at the same point you're, you know, trying to survey the literature for, and there's some, there's some really nice papers that are actually relatively old that say that that's that DHT that pops into your, into your vein and then into your serum test. Yeah. Um, is actually not a very good marker for itself, which is a weird concept that within, within that tissue, it's hitting the receptor harder than the testosterone, but before it escapes, it turns into androstane dial. And so for me, it was almost like blind luck that we're testing these metabolites and then you're reading the papers and going, Oh wow. Like we have this marker. Um, and there's, there's a a fairly recent study. Uh, maybe we can pop it up in the notes or something where, 
um, they measured all these androgen metabolites and looking at PCOS women, which is, is, it's great to be able to treat PCOS women, but it also, I think for me, acts as a surrogate of just saying, this is what high androgen women look like metabolically in terms of the markers that are strong for picking up high androgens. And they measuring all these metabolites, some of which are hard to even pronounce, but there's a whole bunch of them, right? Um, and that one, 5-alpha-androstane-dial, which is the sort of last, the next step in that DHT uh, uh, biochemistry chain when they looked at PCOS women and women without PCOS that they created actually separate non-overlapping reference ranges which was the only thing of all these metabolites that they're measuring um, that that was true right testosterone was off shifted a little bit PCOS women had more um, all of these androgens were a, a little bit higher for the PCOS women but that one in particular like is screaming at you that like this is a marker for high androgenic activity. So do you find that to be um, like a uniquely valuable tool then in terms of, uh, of kind of picking up when, when there, there really is like high androgenic activity in women? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, I see it a lot, especially with PCOS. You'll see the, the higher five alpha androgenadiol, but yeah, sometimes it can kind of clarify the picture for you when you're a little confused about the testosterone and the DHEA levels, when you look down at how it's been metabolized and you look at the 5-alpha androstenedial levels and they're elevated, then it makes more sense. Yeah. Yeah. And I think those are, those are the most challenging things of why you guys are on the phone all the time talking to people is again, when you get, everything's high, it's like, yeah, we know what that means. We know what to do. And, 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 but when they tell a different story, um, you know, for example, if testosterone's low, but these end metabolites are high, it's this picture of like metabolism, like flowing through that, that channel. Uh, but the other thing it might be a picture of is much as we like laboratory testing to think of it as this perfect Holy grail of information, yep. you know, you have a biochemistry realities that some people like spill things into their urine differently than other people, which is, it's rare, but you see those types of patterns. And then you have analytical issues of what if there's an interference with a particular hormone or whatever. And that's where I find the, the value of urine of having multiple things to tell a particular story. And then also points to the importance of doing that work of overlaying the clinical picture and not blindly uh, treating test results, but putting that whole story together before you get to the, you know, the, the solution of what, what you actually want to try, you know, with a patient. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm, I'm always telling practitioners, I think with the urine testing, with the Dutch test, it's, it's kind of some of the more advanced testing we have available to us today to look at the androgens. And, you know, we'll see where it goes from here. But for now, like this is a great tool to use. And once you can really understand it, it can take your practice to a whole new level. Well, we appreciate you making that a little bit clearer for us today because it is one of the more complicated um, pieces to the, the puzzles that we're trying to look at with the Dutch test. So thanks for joining us today. We appreciate it. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. It's been great having you on the show, Dr. Roof, to discuss the role of androgens in female biology. And a big thank you to all of our listeners who joined us this week. Stay tuned for next week's episode with another very special guest, Dr. Doreen Saltiel, the expert on men's health and testosterone. You won't want to miss this conversation. So like and subscribe so you can be notified when new episodes drop. I'm Noah Reed. Thanks for joining us today. Until next time.